Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. special bonus episode of real life ghost stories and in today's bonus episode i am joined by the wonderful shane dunphy the author of the boy they tried to hide that this week's main episode was based on so episode number 195 of the podcast is based on shane's experiences when he was working with a family that were in crisis and needed some intervention and it is one of the most compelling ghost stories I've ever heard. So if you haven't listened to episode 195, I would recommend that you go and listen to this and then listen to this bonus interview episode with Shane Dunphy. Thank you to everybody who sent in your questions for Shane. As with all of these bonus recorded episodes, the audio is different than normal episodes. It's still completely listenable and absolutely fine. But as it's recorded on different software, the audio is different. You can find Shane's books anywhere that you buy books really his name is Shane Dunphy he is on book number 24 I think I've not read his other books as yet but apparently they are very good very compelling and very much worth a read thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy it I was kind of hoping for like some real some real feisty ones you know I was I was like I was expecting some really feisty ones they're all they're all pretty but to be honest with you I don't know what it is about the story because I remember publishing it and um it got a review in the Times, um, the the London Times, and uh, I was expecting, you know, you know, this this is um, them to kind of come out with, you know, look, this is great, but it's you know clearly um, fiction. But no, well, most people seem to just kind of accept it. Accepted it, and yeah, I, I wonder, I wonder what it what it is about the story that makes people just take it for what it is. Because it's very, I think it's very easy, and people people love to be a bit nitpicky about supernatural stories, you know, where they're like, "Yeah, well, explain this, and what about this, and oh, well, you said this, and then this happened." And I just, I wonder what it is. About no, I, I, it has never been nitpicked on any level at all, to be mm-hmm. honest. And I mean, I, I, it's, 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 of all of my books, it and my first one are probably the one that I get asked to talk about the most, you know. Um, and I mean, I've written, I have, I think my 24th book is coming out, um, in January. So, I mean, I've written quite a bit, but this one and Wednesday's Child, the first one are the ones that, that I'm asked to talk about the most. Um, I think it's just a story that resonates with people. Yeah, it really does. I mean, in, inherently, it is a story about two lonely kids who found each other, you know? And I yeah, think that that really, that. I think that really resonates and, and, I think people see the humanity in it. Also, um, I think the fact that the way I approached it when I was in the middle of everything that I describe in the book was I was treating Thomas constantly like a child, like this yeah. was a kid 
who had gotten mixed up in this case that I was working. And regardless of, of, of who he was or what he was mixed up in or what he was, if you want to use that terminology, I wanted to help him. That, that was my motivation. I believed I was working, you know, I believe right up kind of to the end that I was working with, with two very, very troubled and unhappy children. And, you know, one was Gregory and one was Thomas. And uh, that remained my motivation kind of up until it became clear that maybe there was something else going on, you know? I, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that, get to that point in uh, that point where you realised something was going on in a few mm. minutes. But uh, first, hi Shane, thanks for, no. thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> delighted to be here. I'm a big fan. I've been listening to quite a few of your episodes. So uh, oh, thank you really, much. really happy to be participating in the podcast. And just to say as well, a lot of listeners to the podcast had heard your story on Spooked. And... Yeah, it's one of, apparently it is one of their most downloaded um, episodes, which is... Uh, quite nice you know I can imagine so and mm. a, and a lot of people said that it was lovely to then hear the story in more detail and then subsequently to get the chance to ask you questions about it so thank you I, I imagine it could be quite exposing and vulnerable to say yes come and ask me whatever questions you want about this story so no not you. at all my, my, my policy in relation to these things is always look I'm completely open um also I I'm very upfront about the fact that I can I swear absolutely I haven't got a fucking clue what was going on. Do you know what I mean? And I'm still in, 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 you know, say two minds. I'm still in possibly three minds about what, what could have happened. Um, but I, I'm completely open to talk about it. And my attitude is I've got nothing to hide. So, you know, ask away to your heart's content. So I'm going to, I'm going to get into the first question. I tried to kind of group the questions in like a theme. So the first couple of questions are all based on Gregory. So question number one came from Max and Max wanted to know, does Gregory remember Thomas now that he's grown up? And I think that's an interesting question because I think mm. a lot of stories about imaginary friends, the children forget them as they get older. And yes, yeah, so I think that's what Max is trying to uh, get at there. Yeah. Hi, Max. Um, to be honest with you, I haven't been in contact with the family since I wrote the book, which was, um, gosh, I think it's, it's more than 10 years now since the book came out. Um, when I did speak to him, um, however, I can tell you that um, I wrote the book about 10 years after the events that I describe. So the, this was happening kind of in the late 1990s that this was going, the, these events were actually taking place. Um, at the time, he had a dim memory of it. Um, so he was aware that something had happened. The family had moved away. Um, I can say that I can, I can say that they're no longer living in Ireland. Um, and when I spoke to him, um, he only had a very, very dim memory of it. It was the, the, the mum who I would have had kind of had most dealings with when I was kind of chatting, kind of refreshing my memory of events and, um, yeah. kind of, you know, doing, I suppose my, my due diligence when I sat down to write the book. And obviously I had to have her permission and the permission of the, 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 the children involved to do that. Um, so yeah, Gregory had a dim memory of it. He remembered going out into the woods. Um, he remembered his mum being frightened and didn't actually have any particularly concrete memories of Thomas, interestingly enough. Mm. And he didn't remember it as a frightening experience. He remembered his mum being frightened. He didn't find it frightening at all. You know, um, his memory of the area, his memory of that, that, that period of time living in, in that very rural and isolated part of Ireland, he remembers it as being lonely. 
Um, and actually, it seems that this experience was a, an alleviation of that. Um, so he didn't have any bad memories of it. But that said, as I said, he didn't have any particularly detailed memories of what went on either. So Holly wanted to know, how did Gregory handle losing his friend after having him around for so long? That's a really good question. And um, yeah, he wasn't all that happy, is is, is my recollection of it. Um, he, he was... He was never a difficult kid, okay? Um, his his brother, who I was actually working with in the school, was a much feistier, much more kind of in-your-face kind of guy. Gregory was very, very quiet, very meek. Um, I mean, you did a wonderful um, telling of, of my first conversation with, with, with Gregory, in which he wouldn't talk to me at all. Um, and I had to do the kind of, you know, shake your head, nod your head exercise to get him to communicate. And you know, when he finally did kind of warm to me a bit and, and was prepared to talk, um, he was still a kid who tended to, it tended to be short sentences, you know, um, he wasn't a, a very verbose kind of character. Um, so my awareness of the fact that he wasn't all that happy was more based around the fact that he got even quieter again, that he tended to kind of retreat into himself a little bit more. Um, I would go over to, to to see him kind of in the immediate weeks after it all kind of came to an end. And, um, you know, he was kind of stuck into his video games and just what wasn't all that inclined. I think he was a bit pissed off with me, to be honest. Um, yeah, you took away his friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... That said, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I, I couldn't continue visiting family forever. So after about a month after the events, um, you know, I kind of broke off and just said, look, I'm just going to be working with, you know, um, his brother in the school. And, um, you know, he did, we, we did have a conversation sort of just before I kind of said, look, I'm not going to be hanging around so much in the future. And um, what he did say was that he was glad his mommy wasn't scared anymore. Oh, which is no. really sweet. And he, of course... Yeah. For him, Thomas was just a boy. Yeah. yeah. He, he never had any concept of him being anything else. And uh, he was just glad, as I said, he was, he was, he understood that his mom wasn't scared anymore. But that said, the whole experience left a bad taste in her mouth and they moved out of the area about six months after that. So I guess kind of these next two questions, you know, they, they kind of meld together. So Rachel and Kat wanted to know if it had an impact on his life afterwards. And then Jill wanted to know you know, what were the follow-up conversations that you had with Gregory Angus and Orla, who is the, the boy's mother afterwards? Um, do you know there actually wasn't that much follow-up on it? Um, I, I kept on calling out more for fear that uh, Gregory would go out into the woods looking for him. Yeah. Um, so that was something that we were very aware of. And so just kind of making sure that the security in the house was 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 up to spec and that he wasn't going to get out. There wasn't an awful lot of talking about it because I think nobody was very clear about what had really happened as to what we had all experienced. So nobody really wanted to talk about it all that much. Um, like I said, with, with, with Gregory, it was, it was purely... Um, suddenly he was lonely again there was nobody to play with because they, they they there were no neighbors there was no kids in the area um even the travelers that had been camping nearby moved on really fast um i do remember i do remember gregory's mom saying to me that she felt that the woods seemed different okay she said they seemed stiller 
or something. That was a. Uh, I remember we were we we were kind of sitting out in the garden having a, a cup of tea one evening, and her saying to me, "Do you feel that?" And I said, well, "What?" And she said, "Do you feel the woods?" And I said, I, "No, I couldn't sense any difference at all." She said she felt the woods were stiller; that there was almost like something had gone, something was missing, but. Um, that, that was her perception. Of course, she was living there all the time. Do you know mm. what I mean? She was a single mom. She wasn't working. Um, so she was there, literally, and, and except when she went to the shops. She was in, in, in the house or in the garden, surrounded by the woods all the time. So she would have had more of an awareness of, of those kind of very subtle changes that I didn't. I did notice, um, I mean, I'm a don't lose respect for me when I say this, but I'm a, I'm a birder. Like, I'm very interested in, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm birds bird watching and stuff like that absolutely um, no respect lost here at all we love birds in this house um so I, I would often when i was out there with um with gregory we'd sit in the back garden and i would pick out bird songs do you know what i mean so what can you hear i would say just i did notice afterwards that there was less birds around i don't i don't know why that was but it just it when i did think about it it was a little bit quieter they didn't seem to use much bird life. But that said, that could have been seasonal as well. So, you know, the way the, the migrant birds, the warblers and everything arrive in the summer and then they go. And so yeah. it could have just been that. I'm very aware of the power of suggestion in in all of this. Um, you know, and I, it, I, it causes me to, you know, second guess myself sometimes as to what, it, you know, as to the, the opinions that I'm jumping to. So that that's the only that was the only real conversation about do you think it's different now it's um it's a funny thing and i think it's a great irish ability uh which has come from a very dark place that when these when these things happen whether they're strange wonderful whatever it is very common for people to just go we're not going to talk about this anymore oh yeah it <laughs> was very much it yeah, was very I... much that it was very much that because i mean like, you know, Gregory's mum was not a was was not a, a stupid woman by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, she'd had a a tough enough life. Do you know what I mean? Um, but she was strong, and she was, you know, she was coping. She was coping really well. I mean, there were two really, really well rounded little boys. Um, and yet, then she'd had this very very traumatic experience with all of this. Um, you know, I'm an academic. I'm a writer. I'm a you know had had many years working in child protection and had seen all kinds of things, you know. Um, and then there was the, you know, the, the the school principal who'd been with me when we when we found Gregory. And I mean, he was also an incredibly down-to-earth guy who'd lived in the area all of his life. And he didn't want to talk about it afterwards. Would not talk about it afterwards. You know, I, I, you know, I remember afterwards when we were standing outside the house after Gregory had been delivered back and he and I just looked at each other and I said to him, you know, what the fuck did you think of that? And he said, we found the boy. Oh, the end. It's over with. We found him. Finished. We found the boy. And that was, he did not want to talk about it anymore after that either. And has not to this day. Has not to this day. So yeah, as as you're right, it is possibly just part of the Irish character that um okay that's over um let let's move on you know so james wanted to know 
have you had any ghostly experiences before or since this one? And did this experience turn you from a skeptic to a believer? <laughs> um, child protection work is funny because you, to do it well, you have to enter into the world of the children that you're working with. And I've always said that I believe that this is why I had this experience with Thomas that I think that this is my best summing up of, 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 of what happened. I think that Gregory had tuned into something, some frequency that, that was in that area as a result of something awful that had happened in the past. And he had tuned into that because of the fact that they were such a close knit family. I think his mum tuned into it. Mm. And then I think because of the fact that I do the work that I do and the only tool that's important when you're doing child protection work is your capacity to form a relationship with the kids that you're working with. I think that I tuned into it as well, you know, and obviously then, as I said, the, my, my friend, the school principal who, who joined us, um, you know, he'd been working with kids his entire life as well, his entire adult life. So he somehow was able to, 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 to have that experience too. As a result of this, other a couple of other jobs that I've done did involve certain elements of, um, if you want to call it supernatural, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to call it. Um, a case that I worked relatively early in my career, there was two little boys who had been, <laughs> they had been expelled from their preschool. Now, mm you can imagine what the behavior must have been like to be kicked out of the preschool, you know, they'd been expelled from the preschool. So I was asked to, to go visit the family. It was supposed to be a very, very short term job, find out what was going on um, and ideally get them placed somewhere else. Um, so when I went along, I discovered that they were the sons of a man who had been, Basically, he'd been shot by gangsters. He was a he was a criminal, and he'd been shot by some of his colleagues when some deal he was involved in had gone wrong. Um, their mum had the house like a shrine to him. There was pictures of him all over the place. She still laid a place for him at the dinner table, um, and had never actually told the two boys that he was dead. They they didn't know that their father was dead, and. They informed me on my, my first visit that the reason that they were behaving the way they had been in the creche was because their daddy had told them to. The daddy had told them to behave like this. Um, I thought, that's weird. I said, so you're, you're talking to daddy and said, oh, yeah. And I said, OK. And, um, you know, where are you meeting him? And they explained to me that they went down to the back of the garden and there was this kind of the garden kind of rose a little bit at the back and there was kind of like a raised ditch kind of a thing. And they would go there and kind of climb down behind it. And there was like a, almost like kind of an old like dry riverbed kind of a thing. And they would go down there and this is where they would meet daddy. So I thought, Ooh, uh, again, my initial thought was that there, there's some guy there that they're seeing or whatever yeah. they were at risk. Um, so I asked them, I put them in separate rooms and I asked them, I gave them paper and pencils and I asked them to draw for me a picture of um, their daddy when, you know, this, this 
person that they were seeing when they went down into the down behind the the raised ditch and each of them independently drew exactly the same thing which um the only way i can describe it actually i I write about this in one of my books and i try to reproduce the picture um as close as i can describe it it's like the face in edvard munch's scream it's it's this kind of skull-like thing that they drew um and I continued to visit the house and weird stuff did happen when I was there. At one stage, I remember the room that we were in and it was a, this was summer and it was a bright, bright day outside. But I remember the, the room we were in getting incredibly dark and I couldn't explain it because the window was there. The curtains were open, but the room itself seemed to get dark and it seemed to get very, very cold. And um, on another occasion, and this is when I was actually trying to talk to the boys about the fact that, you know, sometimes, you know, again, I was trying to kind of work under the assumption that, you know, that they believed what they were telling me. So I was kind of trying to appeal to that, saying that, you know, sometimes grownups can make mistakes and tell us to do things that aren't necessarily right. And, you know, um, you know, hurting other kids in school is not a good thing. And it was as I was having this conversation, the room starts to get dark and bitterly cold. On another occasion that I was there, um, the electricity went out and I went into the utility room to find the trip switch. And of course, you have to climb up on a chair to do that. And as I was doing this, I could hear this scratching sound at the window as if it was a, a tree tree branches that were scratching and scraping really loudly at the window. And just as I hit the trip switch, the chair was kicked out from underneath me. And um, I actually, I literally fell and hit my head. And um, when I kind of got up, I went to try and open the door and I couldn't open it. And the sound of the scratching was getting louder and louder and louder. And I'm starting to panic. And I was banging on the door with both fists. And the next thing, the mom arrives and just opens the door. Um, and she said, what's wrong with you? I said, I couldn't get the door open. And then I turn on her, you know, I said, look, I'm here trying to fucking help you. I, I said, and you're pulling the fucking chair out from under me. I said, I really hurt myself. And she said, you can ask the boys. I've, I've been in the room with them the entire time. So I went out into the back just to get some air because I, it, the whole house suddenly started to feel like it was closing in on me. And I stood there and I looked over at the window of the utility room looking for what tree it was that was had been scratching on the window while I was in there. There wasn't a tree within 20 feet of the window. So whatever was making that sound to this day, I don't know. But that, that experience pissed me off to such a degree. I decided enough is enough. And I said to the mom, we're taking the boys to their father's grave. And um, she it took some persuading, but she eventually agreed and we took them to the grave and after we did that all the weird stuff in the house stopped all the weird stuff stopped you know so i have no idea i mean you and i were chatting there um just before we started recording about you know danny robbins and some of those poltergeist stories which seem to be in some way be linked to unhappiness in children I, I wondered if the boys were in some way causing some of this stuff to happen themselves. I don't know. The other weird experience that I had was um, I was working in a residential childcare unit. And it was an old mansion house. And I was told when I started working there that it had a ghost. 
whom they called the Red Lady. And uh, several of the staff had seen her. And they said to me that they always saw her after there had been some really, really, really intense emotional occurrence in the house. You know, one of the kids getting upset or one of the kids acting out or something really, really stressful happening. And I, I ended up thinking at least that I saw her on two occasions. Um, one was after um, one of the kids that I was working with, There had uh, his father had been brought to court for doing some really horrible things to his children. And um, the father was sentenced, but um, during the sentencing, he um, kind of stood up in court and was profusely apologizing to um, his son for what had happened, what, what he had done. And of course, as you can imagine, the son got very, very upset. And so we'd had a really rough night with him. And I remember I was um, in quite rightly when you were putting kids to bed in residential care, you can't go into the, you know, you go in, you put them to bed. And then if you're waiting for them to fall asleep, or whatever, you don't wait in the room, mm. you can sit in the doorway because that way there can be no allegations made and you're being completely safe. So I was sitting in the doorway. It was very, very late at this stage. He hadn't gone to sleep for hours and hours and hours. It was about 1.30, maybe 2 in the morning. And I was sitting there starting to nod off. And suddenly I caught this flash of red kind of in my peripheral vision going past. And um, then I heard footsteps in the living room and I thought almost oh, be one of the other kids up having a nightmare or whatever. So I got up and went into the living room and for just a moment, I caught the sh outline of this female figure standing in the window. And um, I realized as I looked at, yeah, she was wearing a kind of a red dress that looked like kind of like 1920s style. And um, she turned around and I just caught a glimpse for a second and then it was like she was gone and you know it's like you've been you, you get the if you've been looking at light and then you switch the lights off you can still see the imprint yeah of the, yeah i don't know what that's called but it was like that it was like that there was that kind of um kind of residue kind of in my eyes and um you know i said it to one of the other staff got up at that point and i was saying it to her said i think i've just seen the red lady and she just said yeah i'm not surprised you know and that kind of ties into so alice also asked you know she said shane must have met and worked with many troubled kids in his time what does he think of the idea that young people's restless energy can somehow create paranormal activity such as in the enfield haunting so i guess that kind of ties into that i mean yeah i mean i i am not gonna pretend to be an expert on any of this um i have had working with kids have had some weird experiences um I think that children are very open. Children believe in magic completely. We 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 train them to, if you think about it. I mean, yeah. Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, you know, all of these things. We bring our kids up to believe in this. And then, you know, they reach adolescence and we crush all of that, or we try to, you know. But 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 kids are kids are open. So when you're working with them, you've got to be open too. So I think that, 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 as I said, that frequency that they're tuned into, if you tune into that yourself, you're leaving yourself open. And, uh, and uh, like I said, it, it, it could be the power of suggestion. It could be, you know, like I always say, you're told, you walk into a house and you're told it's haunted. That immediately makes you more accepting, I suppose, of, of, of what you might see or encounter there. 
At the same time, I was emotionally exhausted when I saw the Red Lady. It was two o'clock in the morning. I was half asleep. I could have dreamed the whole thing. Yeah. All the stuff that happened in that house with those two little boys, it could probably all be explained um, scientifically or through weather phenomena or whatever. The Thomas story, a little bit harder to explain, particularly seeing as there were so many independent witnesses, you know, like the Travellers, for example, like who, Mm. you know, had no connection with this family and who I'd never met before. Um, That's harder. But um, I'm still perfectly open to being told like that there's a very easy, you know, if someone can come up with a very easy explanation for what happened, I would be delighted to hear it. I'm in no way precious about the fact that, you know, this is my ghost. It's it's a strange story is the way I, I look at it, you know, that, that um, as I said, seems to resonate very strongly with people. Yeah, it definitely does. And Devin wrote in and said, so you mentioned the story that the locals were seeing childlike figures in the forest. So there's the bit where you talked about like people had reported hearing a child crying. You yeah. had had an experience prior to this of hearing a child crying yeah. in the forest, which I didn't include in my story. Mm. Um, did they automatically think that it was a child's spirit or did they think it was someone or something else? And wouldn't the boy, so Gregory and Angus's mother also have heard these stories about a child or the ghost of a child in the woods? Um, Gregory and Angus's mum, they were new to the area. They were not locals. Um, I I didn't put that in to the the book purely because we were, um, every book, every nonfiction book that I write, the lawyers go through it with a fine tooth comb to make sure that... um, any you identifying know, factors need to be exactly removed. Exactly, all of those things. I mean, the books are gone through and gone through and gone through. You're, you could be talking seven, eight, nine drafts by the time it's finished, just to make sure everybody is protected. Uh, they were actually new to the area. They had only they weren't living there very long when all of this happened. Um, so no, they they had no comprehension of anything like that. Um, the locals, I, I do remember again talking to um, you know my my boss, the principal about you know when we, we we'd been hiking together and we 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 heard or i heard the sound of a what, what i thought was a baby crying um you know i i said this to the principal and his immediate reaction was you know she looks probably just a fox or you know some animal in the woods um you know some birds can can make very strange calls particularly you know like a, a jay yeah it's kind of a crow you know sounds like somebody screaming if you if you hear it um under the right circumstances so it's very easy to explain those kind of things away um but no because of the fact that there was this tradition that there was a certain area in the woods which was haunted and there were you know these two stories um one of which you know, both of which you told in, in, in your telling, you know, the, the, the one about the, you know, the, the, the girl who'd become impregnated by her father and he kept her, you know, locked up out in the, the, the woods or whatever to hide her away. Um, you know, I, I, I don't believe, I mean, I looked into that and I don't believe that actually happened. I think that that was, um, you know, just a folk tale really. Mm. Um, however, the other story, the story about the mom, possibly murdering her her child and you know keeping her child a secret you know 
that I, I, I do very much believe. And I, I actually was very grateful that you kind of gave an explanation at the end of, of, of the last podcast just about Ireland's social history. Yeah. You know, and in the 1980s, the mother and baby homes and the Magdalene laundries in Ireland were still in full swing. And I think their... a lot of people don't don't really fully comprehend yeah. what that actually meant for Irish society and what that meant for women who had children out of wedlock and all of that stuff. And, you know, and I think there, I think you were so right. So in the book, you talked about how is it possible this story of the incestuous father, you know, et cetera, et cetera, grew up out of guilt from the society yeah. who didn't help Winifred Tobin and who therefore needed a big bad villain to blame. Oh, yeah. And I absolutely do believe that that's what happened. Um, you know, the, 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 the case in Ireland that actually changed our attitude towards child protection and towards the protection of women um, was the Kilkenny incest case, which took place in the early 1990s. And it rem it's funny because the Winifred Tobin story reminds me of it so much. I mean, this was a case of a girl who had actually been impregnated by her father and had been abused atrociously for her entire life. And when she finally ran away because she believed that her father was going to start harming her child, um, and she ended up going to a refuge um, here in Waterford, um, when they finally started to look into the case, it came to light that literally everyone in the local community knew what was going on but not only that a huge number of professionals knew what was going on and had done absolutely nothing to help and what it did was it shone a light on good holy catholic ireland the land yeah. of a thousand welcomes that actually showed that in fact communities could be incredibly harsh on people who they believed were let's just say casting a light on the morality of Irish people that they didn't really like. Yeah. And it's it's it leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. But I think Winifred Tobin was another victim of that, as very possibly was Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I I it's so difficult to explain to people how it would have been at the time preferable to just hide that child than it would be for the clergy at the time or the church in the area to find out that that child was born out of wedlock because you you ran the risk of being locked up you ran the risk well, of the child being taken away uh, from you yeah i mean mary mcaleese uh, described the industrial schools in the magdalene laundries as as ireland's holocaust yeah um i mean we are talking about thousands of women and children the vast majority from the poor, from the poorer classes in Ireland, um, being locked away and, and with no legal, no legal right to do so. And yet if they ran away, the police would come and bring them back, mm. you know. Um, and these women were, were I mean, the, the levels of institutional abuse are shocking absolutely shocking and yeah the children would be taken away and often illegally sold into foreign adoptions i know which which still to, when i think about it to this day it blows my mind and then of course then we have the mother and baby home um in in the west of ireland in which they found mass graves um which we still haven't of, of children which we still haven't been given a proper explanation as to whether those were 
deaths by natural causes um, or whether we're talking about children being murdered or what we just we don't know um but yeah a very 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 dark period in ireland's history and it makes perfect sense to me that somebody like Winifred Tobin would have hidden her child yeah and tried to um carry on her life as 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 if nothing had happened because it was preferable to effectively being put in what was really a forced labor prison yeah for the rest of your life in which your child would be taken away and sold to some wealthy American or Canadian family and you'd never see them again. Um, so people did what they had to do. And uh, I, I think that Win Winifred Tobin, uh, for, for all of the fact that she clearly had um, some, some mental health issues which weren't being looked after, was really just trying to do her best. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. She really mm. was trying to do her best for her little boy. Yeah, yeah. And the, and Would... obviously then there, there's the whole mental health issue. I mean, we've had quite a number of cases in Ireland as well uh, within the last kind of, you know, 15 years of, um, you know, parents as a result of depression and desperation um, killing their children. And yeah. I'm I'm not... Initially, I remember because I covered quite a few of those stories as a journalist, and initially there was an awful lot of of, of sympathy um, for the, the the people that had perpetrated those crimes. Um, I remember over time starting to feel less sympathetic about it, and actually just saying, you know, look, we need to have a fucking conversation about mental health in Ireland, and particularly about depression and about the services that are available. You yeah, know? or not available. Or not available, maybe. which yeah. is actually more the case. Um, I mean, the, the, the two-tier health system, you know, in Ireland, if you've got private health insurance, there's still a waiting list, but you're, yeah. you'll be seen within a month or so, which if you've got extreme depression, is still a really long fucking time. But yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're public and you're waiting to see a psychiatrist, you could be waiting a year, 18 months, even longer. Yeah, two years is not uncommon, you know. No, it's not. And the child and adolescent health facilities are even worse. Um, it, it, it beggars belief. And in the 1980s, to open up about the fact that you were depressed, you'd be laughed at. You yeah. know, people didn't have depression. You'd say, give yourself a kick up the arse and just get on with it, you'll be fine. Yeah, get on with it, you'll be fine. And also a woman to say... I was violently abused by this by this man, the father of yeah. this child, and I have this child out of wedlock. Nobody's going to listen to her. People are going to say, yeah. "Well, exactly." You know, and I mean, we had a child out of wedlock, so that's the big. I mean, that's the big how red many flag. How, how many families in the in in the nineteen eighties, you know, where the, where there would have been domestic violence, which again, the the neighbors probably would have been aware of, but yeah. nobody would have said a word because you don't interfere with what was going on behind. The curtains of a family home. Uh, yeah, you never said anything. It was not no. your business. So it's a, the story is completely believable, and you know I, I've thought about it a lot. And I mean, F Father Senan, um, when we talked about it, I mean, he was carrying a lot of guilt mm. um, o over that, and and had been carrying it for quite a number of years. That maybe he should have stepped in or done something different, and. Again, I mean, look, I'm, I'm no fan of the church. Um, you know, I've, I've written a lot about that and I'm open about the fact I'm a survivor of clerical abuse myself. Um, but I didn't think he was a bad guy. I think that he was he, he had tried to help the family. He had gone to the police. Nobody wanted to know. 
because mm. he was just this shit kicker living out in the woods um, who everybody thought was just a bit strange, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it's just a really, really tragic story. And I, yeah, that I think it, it's, it's like you said, it's entirely believable. You know, when I yeah. was reading your story of Winifred Tobin, I was like, ah, okay. Yeah. Actually, within, this, within, this the, context, within yeah. the context of Ireland at that time, it was one story of thousands. Just yeah, every every town would have had a Winifred Tobin. You oh know? yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. To, uh, to, God, that, we could have talked about, I think... Ireland's dark past there for the next three hours. Um, yeah, it's a long, a long and sordid story. You know? really unfortunately, is. unfortunately, we, we could go right back to Celtic times. I mean, one of the first um, feudal laws that was passed in Ireland was actually um, about m- making it illegal for members of religious orders to have sex with children. Um, I mean, it goes that far back. We're talking yeah. about like the eighth, ninth century. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, don't get me started. Maybe, maybe another show. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe another podcast. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Ireland's dark past. <laughs> um, so to uh, bring it back to the paranormal a little bit, yeah. Kate, Katie and Trisha both had questions about the baby monitor. Uh, recording and so Katie wants to know do you have a copy of the recording that people can hear I and Trisha not. wants to know how how the mum taped the baby like what happened in that okay. period all right I do not have a copy of the tape and I asked for it when I was writing the book and um, she laughed at me and said that that had been burned ages ago along with her we don't want to remember any of this um, so no, that's long gone. I wish I did have a copy of it. Um, ha- what what happened was literally I had said to her, you know, the best way to try and 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 catch this kid if he's trying to sneak out, stick a baby monitor in the room. It's it's low tech. Again, you got to remember this is the late nineteen nineties. Okay, so. Uh, I mean, mobile phones were in their infancy at this time. You know, there's no Siri. The kind of technology or, or Alexa or anything like that, the kind of technology that we have now was not a thing of that time. So your standard baby monitor, not a vi- not the ones that have little video screens, but just your, like a little yeah. walkie-talkie that you plug into the wall, one down, one upstairs, one downstairs. So said so that you can listen out for, you know, just have it plugged in near you when you're sitting downstairs. So... That's what she had done. And um, she, you know, said to me that she was just sitting there, she was watching TV. And the next thing she could hear 
she said it sounded like he was talking to himself but she said she turned up the volume on the baby monitor and suddenly she realized that what she was hearing were, were what sounded like two distinct voices now many skeptics have said to me could it have been him putting on a different voice yeah i mean I, I guess it could um it didn't sound like him if he was doing it he was doing a very good performance and it did sound very much like two different voices you know but um what she did was when she heard that she wanted me to hear it so she went and, and got you know your old-fashioned you know you know cassette player and literally you know stuck in a tape press play and record and held it up to the baby monitor and that's how she recorded it so i mean it wasn't massively good quality and i remember she had to turn the volume right up full for us to be able to hear properly what was going on um but you could hear the conversation and you could hear what sounded like two distinct voices so how did you so genuinely when i got to that part of the story like it i was i was gripped by that point mm. i was like oh my god how did you feel in that moment um, I'm not going to lie. It, it gave me the chills uh, when I heard it. Um, I'm still at this stage, though, like I'm not jumping to the conclusion at this point that we're dealing with with a, a, a ghost or anything like yeah. that. I'm miles away from that at this stage. I, what I'm thinking is that there is some kid who's possibly living homeless out in the woods and this would not be the first time I've come across kids living homeless I've, yeah you know I remember walking across Dublin city one evening um from the conferences I, that I was at over to Bosaurus and stopping and talking to eight homeless young people living on the streets of Dublin do you know what I mean so you know living in in, in the woods wouldn't have surprised me similarly the whole thing with him saying that he liked the a team and that he had a, a specky computer um, not very long in the, that same area of Ireland, not very long beforehand, I had worked with a family who were living as if they were living in the 19th century. They'd gotten rid of all technology, literally had a pump to pump water in the, the kitchen. The father went mad when I stuck on the radio in my car when it was parked outside the house because he didn't want any intrusion from the modern world so that even didn't have me thinking that anything particularly weird was going on at that stage i'm still thinking that this is a kid who has somehow broken into the child's room yeah and i'm also worried why does he want him to go out into the woods and i'm i'm still thinking could this kid be living with some cult or some commune that are in the woods somewhere? Yeah. Why do they want a child? you got to remember, I've dealt with paedophile rings. I've dealt with trafficking rings. You know, all of this stuff is what's coming to my head. I'm not thinking anything supernatural at this stage. I am purely believing that we've got two children who are really seriously at risk. Yeah, and I have to say, as somebody who um, spent much of their career in safeguarding as well, I would be of the same mindset. Yeah. Like up until the point I, I see this kid and I realize he's see-through. You know what mm. I mean? I'm in the same mindset. I'm thinking, right, there's a, a possibly older kid coming into this little kid's bedroom. Yeah. What is going on? What What is the lure? Why are they going out into the woods? Who is out in the woods? So I yeah. totally get having that feeling. And I just from a personal perspective, like did you have a point in this story um, where you thought, 
shit, I think I don't think this is a real I don't think this is a real boy. I think this might be I think this might be a ghost or whatever it is. Um I started to think it might that it was something other. That's the best word that I can use to describe mm. it. Um only really towards the very end. Too much stuff was starting to indicate that this was... But you got to remember then you're still dealing with physical symptoms. I mean, there's rocks being thrown through windows. Yeah, footsteps footprints. or footprints, yeah. I mean, and the the, the voice on the on, on, on the mon- on, on the tape recorder. I mean, how many episodes of Most Haunted have you watched or any of these where they've got nothing and they've got all the equipment and, you know, they're kind of yeah. walking through the house. What's that? Is that something... Oh, no, it's not. And they just keep going like, and there's nothing there. And yet here we have all of this physical evidence and all of that was still making me think. But it was really, to be honest with you, it was really, there was two things. Number one, um, when I had visited um, Father Senan in the old folks home and I was driving out and I was coming down and I mean, we had walked through the woods, he and I. And it was a different part of the woods, but we'd walked through the woods. We'd had the conversation and I'm driving out and I absolutely swear that there was a little boy standing on the corner, just looking at me. And I saw him as clear as day. Now, there was nothing see-through about him. He looked like a, a boy, but just in that corner, of my, he, he looked like he was, he didn't belong there. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I stopped and I went back, not a sign of him, no footsteps or anything there. But that kind of gave, freaked me out a bit. But then it was at, at the very end when we found Gregory in the woods and I looked over and there he was. And that awful crying and it wasn't him. His lips weren't moving. Oh, oh the heebie-jeebies. And then that thing, and I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen it in a movie. I've never seen it in anything else. But genuinely, it looked like there was a rope tied behind it around his waist and something pulled it. And he, it's giving me, I'm getting a bit freaked out now remembering it, but it was like he just shot backwards. And I even saw him, kind of his legs went out from under him and he shot backwards through the through the trees. Um, but then, I, I, again, If I think about that, okay, um, you know, was I under a lot of stress? Yeah. Um, was I a bit freaked out by what was going on? Yes, I certainly was. Um, was I buying into a fantasy that this little boy was having? And, you know, I'd spent so much time with that family. You know, I, I just... I don't know. It's it's what I think I saw. Yeah. Um, I was genuinely scared shitless in that moment. Um, I still tried to treat him like a kid. You know, I was still trying to talk to him to just say, look, you know, do you need help? What, what do you need? What can we do? And, you know, I remember actually when I was doing the Spooked, podcast i think that the, the the lady who interviewed me for that actually said you know do you think that it was because you were still treating him like a kid that he went away you know that maybe for the first time somebody had actually seen him and kind of reached out to him with kindness 
that maybe that's all he wanted. Maybe that's all that it took. Just a bit of recognition. Just a little bit of recognition. Yeah, look, I'm here. I see you. I see you are in pain. You know, I want to help. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't. There are no answers. This is the. This is uh, the it's frustrating, frustrating thing, thing, isn't it? It is the frustrating thing. I haven't got a clue. This is what I said to you at the very beginning. I actually, I don't. I still don't know what happened. Yeah, and um, I, I think I, I think. I think that's probably a good way to look at it because if you go, well, it was definitely 100% a ghost, then you leave yourself completely closed to any other options, you know? Yeah. Whereas if you go, actually, something really strange happened and I don't know what it was. Yeah. I mean, I I remember at one stage um, when I was doing a, actually a kind of a a related, you know, I I did a a thing on um, kind of cryptozoology for the, the documentary on one, RT Radio One, where I went, monster hunting you know and um ended up getting this really bizarre recording of a an unknown creature um and i remember bringing it to um a zoologist uh to to listen to to kind of say look what what is this have you ever heard anything like this and actually he had heard the spooked story and ah. he was talking to me about it and he said to me um you know, he said, the, the, those woods, he said, was there this particular type of, don't ask me what kind, but this particular type of moss growing there. And he showed me this particular this picture. And he said, apparently, when this particular moss reacts with um, a certain type of moisture at a certain temperature, it can release these gases, which can cause, in extreme circumstances, hallucinations. He said, is it possible maybe that you would come or encounter this? And I said, well, it's absolutely possible. I said, I don't know. I've never looked that closely at a bit of moss to be able to tell you. But I said, is it likely that I would have seen it and that the um, people that I was with would have seen exactly the same yeah. thing? And, um, and then he said, well, are you sure you saw exactly the same thing? Because he was saying that, you know, with the fact that, you know, that we knew that, he, that, 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 that Gregory had an imaginary friend, he said, did I describe in detail to the principal of the school what I had seen to make sure that he had seen exactly the same thing. He said, the two of you seeing a boy when you knew he was supposed to be with a boy, isn't that unusual? And then both of us hearing a child crying when that's what everybody says that they hear in the woods. Um, he said he reckoned maybe that's what was going on. Um, it's a theory. Um, I certainly didn't feel stoned. Well, it's a theory, but like you said, generally with hallucinogenics, everybody doesn't hallucinate the same thing. Mm, Exactly, yeah. But he was saying the power of suggestion um, might have actually caused us to hallucinate something similar. But then we didn't didn't describe it in detail to one another. And he said, why was the boy? The other thing that he thought indicated that that might have been it was that Gregory was asleep in the middle of the day. Yes, and you said that, you said that pointedly in the book, that bizarrely he was fast asleep yeah. leaning against the wall and that Which shocked I, both yeah, of them. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, why was this? And he came awake, he was groggy, he was certainly groggy. So he had um, been actually asleep. He had been asleep, yeah, he was groggy and actually he remained, like I picked him up and was carrying him over my shoulder and he remained asleep for, you know, a good 10 minutes before he kind of came back around again. So as I said, this zoologist that I talked to reckons that that, that might have been what happened as i said it's a theory i'm open to it i'm as i said i'm i'm not precious or attached to it. i'm i'm open to who any ideas that come up um and fascinated by them 
to be honest. Do you know what? To be honest, if I was somebody who was inclined towards hallucinogenics, I'd be absolutely livid right now because if people were wasting money on LSD when really they could be just out in the woods sniffing some moss. <laughs> no, he said, he said, he said <laughs> it, it has to be. It's it, it, it got to do with, I think, peace is an element of it, something I can't remember. He explained it all to me in detail. Um, now, he said it has to be the very specific circumstances for this to occur. But... He just said it was a puzzle and he was trying to work it out. He was, he was, he was being very, I mean, he was kind of almost joking kind of the, yeah, it's unlikely that that is what happened, but it could have. But these things do happen sometimes. Things do happen. So yeah, great. I was, I I was interested to hear his idea. So uh, Kyra wanted to know, could it be some sort of fae or sprite type creature considering it left footprints and was seen by multiple people and seemingly had the strength to open a locked window. I'd imagine a ghost wouldn't really need to climb up the wall either. Now, I love a bit of fairy lore, so I'm all I'm all for this answer. It's definitely it's definitely the fae. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly um there would were a couple of um fairy rings and fairy mounds in the area. Um I'm 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 fascinated by all of that stuff as well. Um Possibly, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I certainly again the, the climbing up the drain pipe thing. I mean, I, I remember that vividly, and the 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 movement or the motion when he went up the drain pipe. It didn't even look like climbing. It looked more like floating. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you it wasn't said that the in jerky. The book, yeah. It wasn't that herky jerky movement of somebody going hand over hand up a drain pipe. It looked more like just levitation almost from where i was sitting and i also remember that the 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 shape was black you know as it went up it wasn't it it didn't look like a person actually somebody said to me um at one stage like did did i think it might have been a pine martin or or one of those um you know tree dwelling mammals um that we have in ireland um yeah i mean i i've it, it that's the first time anybody has suggested it might be the fae or fairy creature and it's not one that i had considered um i'd have to look into that some more i don't know enough about them to be able to match up characteristics in terms of behavior um i have done some research on changelings again from a child protection perspective um is is sorry what's the name of the listener who uh, Kyra is is Kyra suggesting that um, that uh, Thomas wanted to kind of steal Gregory and yeah, bring him back to uh, well, do you know what do you know what scared the living bejesus out of me when in your story and I didn't include it in the podcast was when you were talking to the little traveling boy and he was saying that he got up in the middle of the night and went out to Thomas and he kept beckoning him into the woods and then the further yeah. he went. Thomas would disappear and reappear further away yeah. and like trying to lure him into the woods. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, the, the, I do remember thinking that the, the version of Thomas that the, the traveler saw was certainly a bit more sinister mm. than the one that Gregory was dealing with, you know? Um, so actually yeah, I, I hadn't made that correlation. Yeah, maybe Kyra's onto something there. Yeah, I hadn't. Um, it's the first time I've really thought about it. I'll have to. I'll have to look into that a bit more closely. It's a very good suggestion. Thank you, Kyra. 
So Camille wants to know, were the woods thoroughly searched for hidden caves or something of that nature that yeah. someone could have lived in and have died later? Yes. Um, the um, Around the time that uh, Father Senan originally went to the police, there was a cursory search done um to see if there was a you know he he insisted um i can't remember whether they put it into the book or not but there was a cursory yes he did i think yeah. yeah yeah there was a cursory search done to see if there was any kind of a body or anything like that um afterwards myself and um the principal did do um we, we did quite a few hikes around that area looking to see again because i still couldn't give up the idea that there might be a child living rough mm. Um, even though there was nobody reported missing in the area, there was nothing like that. But um, we did we did search the woods pretty thoroughly. And, um, you know, George was a very accomplished woodsman and knew the area very, very well. And no, there was there was there was no shelters or, you know, even roughly built things that, um, you know, that anybody could have used. Um, you know, that old ruin of the hut, which was very, very deep in the woods. I mean, it didn't have a roof on it or anything like that. Yeah. And on the the, I, the first occasion that I described at the start of the book when we were there, um, I went back again after the events. Um, my dog still wouldn't go anywhere near it. Um, but it was completely overgrown inside. Like you couldn't have gotten in um, yeah. to use to use it as a shelter. So, no, there was no evidence that we could that we could see of, of anywhere that anybody could have been could have been living. And the very last question, which um, I think we've sort of answered previously, came from Kat and she wanted to know um, why didn't anybody put up any kind of CCTV or video surveillance up around the house when there were seemingly two children in jeopardy? But I imagine uh, it's the 90s in Ireland, in rural Ireland, and it was very expensive. That is exactly the answer. Yeah, you're talking about a single mum living on the lone parents allowance um, in rural Ireland. Um, the, the 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 height of technology that could be afforded was the baby monitors, you know, um, and that was it. Uh, the idea of putting up CCTV cameras. I mean, even I mean, like the you got to remember the guards were involved, mm. but they were viewing this case purely as a runaway. Yeah. Um, the fact that there was no reports of missing children in the area, um, and that all that they had really in terms of witness was this little boy do you know what i mean yeah um you know and and they, they they in fairness they gave it as much time as they probably believed was reasonable um so i i don't think that i don't think that we can say that it wasn't taken or that it was that the matter was being kind of brushed aside it was just what are they going to do with this you know, yeah. from what we've already got. Yeah, the idea, the CCTV cameras were not a, pri you know, in a private home was just not something that people would have done back then, you know? I mean, you can pick them up in, in, in Lidl now for... Yeah, for you know, nothing. For nothing, yeah. But back then that would have been totally off the charts. Yeah, nobody would yeah. have done it. Mm. Uh, Shane, that was the final question. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure. And um, uh, do you have anything that you desperately would like to plug while you're here? Uh, no, my my last book, um, which came out in January, is called The Help Desk. Um, it's published by Hachette Books, and it is um, kind of a standalone psychological thriller about a, a lawyer who is um, 
you know, working on the biggest deal of his career. And uh, one night he's working late in the office and loses a file on the cloud and uh, rings the IT help desk and a very pleasant woman answers and they spend a couple of hours trying to find the the file and they finally do and they strike up a bit of a relationship but he's married and he's not really able to pursue it so he ends up having to kind of fob her off and um shortly after that things start to go badly wrong for him um other files go missing porn starts showing up on the hard drive of his work laptop and um all kinds of things start to go wrong not just in his life but in his wife's life as well um is it the woman on the help desk or not because the book is told from three different points of view and every single one of them are unreliable narrators we love an unreliable narrator yeah exactly don't we all yeah so um so that's the help desk um so that's out at the moment next book um i have a couple of books coming out in january um but other than that no um just uh Thanks everybody for the interest. It's um, it, it it's it makes me very happy actually that um, that this story kind of continues to find new listeners and new interest. And um, I actually think you know one of the things that I wanted to do with my books about child protection was kind of shine a light on the lives of people who normally are not celebrated. Yeah, you know, and the fact that so many people have heard about Thomas. And so many people are interested in him and talking about him. I, I, I'm so happy about that because that's, I think that's probably what what he needed. Yeah, um, you know he's he's kind of famous now, so it's uh it's nice, you know. Can I just say as well that one of your short stories was, or one of your stories was turned into a short film that was nominated for an IFTA recently. That's right. Yeah. So when's this child, which is my first book. Um, I mean, it was very successful, went to number one on the bestseller lists in Ireland, was in the top five in the London Times bestseller list as well. Um, but it's the first two, the first chapter of When's This Child has been turned into a short film by um, Caroline Harvey and Charlie Bailey, both of whom would be well known to Irish viewers because they're both in the Soap Fair City, which is kind of Ireland's answer to EastEnders. Um, but uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's literally the story of a social worker on her first day going to do a home visit and it all goes horribly wrong you know it's 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 a, it's it's a it's kind of a dark film like it's not easy viewing but it, it's incredibly realistic I mean they, yeah. they didn't pull any punches and it has been outlandishly successful I mean it, we we won best Irish short at the um, Galway Film Fla um we've been to loads of different festivals and won loads of stuff and we got nominated for an irish film and television award which was great you know so so it's 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 just really humbling again that that book which literally i wrote thinking i'd sell five copies to a few family and friends and it's it's still as well kind of those stories are still attracting interest so it's yeah it's wonderful Congratulations, and it was amazing to talk to you. And thank you so much. You've after you're after giving up like an hour and a half of your time to come <laughs> on and talk to me, and I really appreciate it. Oh no, you're more than welcome. As I said, I'm just really, really pleased that people are interested in the story. And um, as I said, big fan of the podcast anyway. So delighted to be involved. Thank you so much, and everybody listening, you can pick up the boy they tried to hide pretty much anywhere. Um, on on yeah, the, yeah. online retailers, you can get it anywhere really. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty widely available. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thank you very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.